Hi, this is Jeff D. Hi, my name is Gary Savard. Check it out, Bubba Brinkman. I am the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson. Hi, this is Jody Emery. Hi, I'm R.N. Rod. Hi. I'm James Rand. Hi, this is Phil Ferguson. Hi, I'm Michael Shermer. Hi, I'm Eli Bosnick. Hi, this is David Silverman from American Atheists, and I took a left at the valley. And that was the best turn I ever made. Uh... <laughs> I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Coming at you from the bed, the best podcast with only the best words. This is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I use bigly words. Joining me as usual is the crew who was misquoted when they said, "Oh, heaven only sent us rapists and murdering prophets." <laughs> she decided to build a great wall to protect us from the church. Nancy. Oh well, let me go out and get my bricks quick. <laughs> he decided that all theists should be registered in case of an imaginary god attack. Tyler. I like using big words because they make me sound photosynthesis. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a Twitter battle every night with Jesus, Kevin. And I'm going to form my own religion. <laughs> Guys, welcome back. Guys, did you ever wake up, you know, kiss the person sleeping right next to you and feel, you know, really glad you're alive? Has that ever happened to you? Well, in my case, I kiss my dog, but I guess it's the same. I guess as long as it engenders the same feeling, it's okay, right? Yeah, because yeah. I, I just did that, and apparently I won't be allowed again that airline ever again. <laughs> so, I hope you guys had a great holiday season. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, we're going to have a great show today, but before that, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Uh, did you guys uh, hear about the... Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger is now doing the Celebrity at Apprentice. Oh, no. with, the, with that cigar. I mean, it's just like, oh, <laughs> Did you Lord, watch it? Just, I didn't watch. I've just watched the promos. I don't think I could stand the whole show. I could, you know, it's just barely enough time for me to switch the channel with with him lighting up that cigar. Now, oh. you do know that there used to be uh, President-elect Trump's yeah. show, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the funny thing is, is, of course, Trump couldn't resist but to take a few jabs at Arnold. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's really nice. Uh, and Arnold actually showed a lot of class in replying to, to Trump. So <laughs> here's, the, here's the, the tweet. It says, this is Donald Trump. Wow, the ratings are in and Arnold Schwarzenegger got swamped or destroyed by comparison to the ratings machine. So much for being a movie star. And, and that was for season one compared to season 14. Now compare him to my season, but who cares? He supported Kasich and Hillary. Oh, so this is this is Trump, right? We live in the Twitter age of Trump. Mm. So Arnold replies, he says, "There's nothing more important than the people's work." At real Donald Trump, the, um, I wish you the best of luck, and I hope you work for all the Americans' people as aggressively as you work for your ratings. Whoa. Bam! Yeah, Bam is right. Well, good. I'm glad he's got a, a Twitter opponent. The worthy t- of him. Yes, the t- the Terminator just came in and just decided to. <laughs> Give give uh, <laughs> Trump a, a good reply. I actually really like Arnold. Like he was, I do. He I was do. obviously a Republican, but he made sure to provide free health insurance for all of his employees. And he's very concerned about climate change. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a nice twist on him being a Republican, right? Actually, we uh, Arnold was actually asked after that, uh, what was his strategy? 
for uh, connecting with Trump via Twitter, and he answered, Crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and they hear the lamentation of their women. That is good. That is good. That, that's true. That's a true uh, quote right there from Arnold. <laughs> well, it's going to be fun if they have a, a Twitter war, and if the Twitter war affects the ratings where people don't watch, and Trump is a producer of that show. <laughs> He's sinking his own ship, isn't he? Sort of. <laughs> so, I guess so. <laughs> Having fun, but going down. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but I think I think Trump actually still has producing credits. He on, does have. Oh, he does. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. They they keep his name on there. You know. <laughs> In other news, you guys know that God was actually banned from Facebook for 30 days. Say what? No way. Mm. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a little uh, there's a little uh, account that's just named God, and there's like a little God yeah. character picture there. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he's a, he's actually hilarious. Whoever has that account, he's absolutely hilarious. Uh, but he suggested in a in a Facebook uh, posting that the U.S. should spend less money on the military and more money on education, and that got him banned for 30 days on Facebook. Hmm. What, what's so? Where, I, I'm trying to figure out where the offense is there. Yeah, I say that stuff all the time on yeah. Facebook. Yeah, but you're not going on. I've surprisingly never been in Facebook jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Me neither. Yeah, I can't say I have either. Um, oh, well, I'm glad he's back. Did you guys hear about this uh, Chicago uh, Facebook video of a young man who was oh. tied up, assaulted, and his uh, uh, assaulters, I guess, were, were yelling, fuck Trump, fuck white people. He was being cut. His clothes were being cut. They actually cut his scalp. And four people were taken into custody. I, that, mm. I mean, that is so abominable. It's just bestial and abominable. There's, there's no words that are low enough to... And, and four, four teenage kids, they're, they weren't... Old, they doesn't look no, like any no. one of them were older than 18 or 19. Well, first of all, if you're doing something like that, that uh, that's stupid to begin with, especially for, for something political like this. And if you're doing it while recording and pushing it on Facebook... Well, then you're a complete moron. I'm sorry. Well, and you're hurting your own cause. Like exactly. The, no, the I mean they they they're they're not the smartest kids in in the world for sure. But you know to conceive of doing that, and then I guess this group mentality must have taken over. But I don't know whether the the politics were an excuse just to hit on this kid or what. But it just un, unbelievably savage. And of course, now there's some ramifications of all this because now people are starting to say. Uh, they're starting to compare um, these these uh, these kids were black, yeah. and this this the victim was white, and some people are starting to say, well, you know what? If you twist uh, twisted this around and it was four white kids beating up and cutting some black kid, um, the press would have a field day with that. And you know what? <sighs> I hate to say it, but they're right. They're right. You know, uh, I, I think I think the media should be making more of a fuss over a story like this than they have been. And it's not because a question of uh, it's not a question of color here. The, the the act was horrible, but it should not be more horrible no matter what the 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 the, uh, the, the color of the victim's skin. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a crime. It's a it's a crime. I, I hate to, to to use the cliche, but it's a crime against humanity itself. It, it, it it's something that these kids did with absolutely no sense of morality and no sense of humanity whatsoever. They're just or it's misplaced know, regardless morality. of color. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's a, it's a it's a, it's a bad attack, at least yeah. on a, a person's... Even if that person was a Trump voter, who cares? It, does, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. And if he was the biggest jerk in the world, it still doesn't matter. No. He, this no. person should not face something like that. Um, 
and the <laughs> speaking of Twitter, uh, Wendy's, you know the restaurant Wendy's? Yeah. Their Twitter account was making news as well. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Uh, <laughs> Wendy's apparently, uh, whoever is operating the, the Twitter for Wendy's is a, apparently a pretty good troll. Um, they, they, they got into a fight with uh, somebody online, and uh, they basically <laughs> said, Wendy said, our beef is w way too cool to be frozen. And somebody said, oh, no, your beef is frozen. And I'm paraphrasing <laughs> here. And uh, they're saying, sorry to hear that. You're wrong. And, and this, this person eventually says, give it up. And McDonald's beats you guys. Hands down. And they, they, they basically said, you know, you don't have to bring them into this because you forgot that refrigeration existed for a second. <laughs> wow. Right. They <laughs> they shut down. It. Shut down, shut down. So, yeah, so I guess Twitter is becoming, within 140 characters, people are getting more and more, uh, I don't know. I, what does that say about our society? It says that we're, we're, do, we're dealing with uh, not enough information, I'd say. <laughs> Either that or Absolutely. we're dealing with too much misinformation. Yeah, or a blend too. of the two. And Happy 2017. Yeah, we're going to, and then this is, of course, one of the big things that everybody's talking about here, the, the, the fake news thingy. And uh, we'll talk a bit about this today, but eventually we should do an entire show on that. That'd be interesting. I think so. Oh, yeah. I think so. All right. So in the meantime, my dear Nancy, you ready to go? I think I am. Go. This day in history, which as we know by now is a roundup of those events and people that altered and illuminated the days between January 2nd and January the 8th. Um, January the 2nd is the Earth at, um, help me out here, Tyler, is it the Earth at Perihelion? How do you, how do you pronounce that one? I have no idea. Oh, thanks. <laughs> the day closest to the sun and... Uh, Might as well use Apogee. Yeah, right? Apogee. Apogee's yeah. going to work. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, it's not. Perihelion is closest to Apogee's is furthest Oh, sorry. Okay. sorry. Anti-Apogee. <laughs> <laughs> sure. We'll go with that. It's also science fiction day. So <laughs> it's if I can't pronounce scientific words, I'll, I'll make up my own don't ever ask. Word. Don't ever ask me how to pronounce things because I have my voice software program that pronounces everything. And then I end up repeating it the way that it does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's still better than mine, believe me. My, my phone says pseudoscience instead of pseudoscience. <laughs> <laughs> you, you ought to give us a list of, of those one, one day. I think it'd be fun. Um, anyway, January 2nd, 1929, the U.S. and Canada agreed to preserve Niagara Falls, which is a, a wonderful thing. Uh, January the 3rd is a festival of sleep day, which is really good right after the holidays to have a festival of sleep day. And um, in, on January the 3rd is also Edmund Hillary reached the South Pole overland, which was a, a marker for um, explorers. January the 4th is the 11th day of the 12 days of Christmas. Anybody remember what the 11th day was in the song? No, I was just glad Christmas is over. Though. Yeah, I was pretty drunk at the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, 11 pipers piping. Oh. But who cares? But that's just... <laughs> Nobody remembers all of them, so that's the 11th. Um, on January the 4th in 1887, Thomas Stevens was the first man to bicycle around the world. And there's no record if he was also the first man to receive knee surgery or have all those bugs peeled away from whatever <laughs> teeth he had <laughs> remaining. But that was quite a feat back in 1887 to bicycle around the world. I think he, uh, he skipped the watery parts, I'm sure. Or he held his breath for a really long held time. Held his breath. Yeah, in 1958, on January the 4th, um, as we said, um, Edmund Hillary reached the South Pole. And in, um, in uh, the, uh, 2001, 
Catherine Hartley and Fiona Thornwill, who were two British women, took 71 days and reached it on the same day. They later trekked to the North Pole, becoming the first women to reach both poles. And there's a little gender bias here because historians are not giving them full credit for their achievement. They worked just as hard, the weather was just as mm-hmm. bad, and they plowed for 71 days to reach it. Um, and so it kind of shows you we need to keep remembering these women who were every bit as um, as tough and as glorious as the men in their Yeah, children. and it should be so easy to bring a story like this because you have women and poles in the same text, right? So right there you have a lot of interest from the male population. There you go. <laughs> January the 5th. In 1903, this is a really, really strange um, little story, and uh, I end up telling it every year at this mm-hmm. time, but it still still brings us back, and that is Topsy the Elephant. Oh, Topsy. Topsy the Elephant. It's a stranger-than-fiction event because the cast, other than Topsy, includes George Westinghouse and Thomas Edison and took place of all locations Coney Island. So the the thrust of the story is that Topsy was an Indian elephant who was owned by a circus. And this is the important part. She was a big girl. She was 10 feet high, 20 feet long, and weighed between four and six tons. From all accounts, she was not treated well at that circus and got the reputation for being a bad elephant. She was teased by some of the the patrons that came and she just, you know, they, they did not compensate by treating her well. So unfortunately, she got sold to a park in Coney Island because she had a reputation of being uh, a rogue elephant. So the owners decided to euthanize her by hanging. <laughs> Can you, How do you hang an elephant? Yeah. So the American Society, for, the SPCA stepped in and said, no, no, no hanging of elephants. But they had no objections to either strangling or poisoning. But that didn't seem to work really well. Now, the SPCA, you'd think during that time, would really be protective of animals. But I'll tell you a little story in just a second that leads us to believe that the SPCA has not always been as humane as they are today. So it was finally decided to electrocute her by using alternating current invented by George Westinghouse and to use the electric tower on Coney Island, which was built by Thomas Edison, which was very interesting because this just follows a period of time known as the War of the Currents. And the War of the Currents mm-hmm. was that Edison wanted direct um, current while Westinghouse wanted alternating current. And it's a fascinating story in history if anybody wants to, wants to read up on it. And, and of course, during, Nikola Tesla was in the Yeah, during too. this time, the... They were trying to decide how much current it took to um, electrocute a man in an electric chair. And and this was during the War of the Currents. And so the SPCA, in, in trying to determine the amount of voltage, practiced on stray dogs that would come in. And and animals. So leading up to Topsy's um, electrocution was not just something out of the air that somebody decided might be an interesting thing to do, but they had already had the SPCA who was practicing, which is a horrible event in history when you think it's the SPCA. But anyway, here's poor Topsy. Let's come back to Topsy for a minute. 
and they advertised the fact that they were going to uh, euthanize her by uh, electrocution. And crowds of up to 1,500 people came to the event, and she was led out, fitted with copper sandals and alternating current lines. She was fed carrots laced with potassium cyanide and then electrocuted by 6,600 volts of electricity. And mercifully, she died instantly and just collapsed to the ground. Cameramen from the Edison Manufacturing Company were there and filmed the event. And you can actually go to YouTube That's true. And, and watch it under the title Electrocuting an Elephant, which is... Uh, it's just, actually, it is on YouTube. It it's a little breaks, black, green yeah. black and white video. It's actually there. Yeah, it, it, it really breaks your heart, you know, to, to realize what happened to this poor animal and the part that the SPCA played in it. She's also, however, been commemorated in a memorial piece at Coney Island. And there is a book about her uh, titled Topsy, The Startling Story of the Crooked Tail Evident Elephant by Michael Daly. Um, uh, January the 6th is Little Christmas in Ireland. And the best event of that day in 1918 is that a Canadian captain named Mr. Uh, Captain Headley, J. Headley, of the Royal Flying Corps was sucked from his seat and out of his plane while diving to escape German fighters. And it's unclear whether or not he grabbed onto the plane or the slipstream pulled him back into the plane when it leveled out. But either way, he fell out and managed to climb back in to, to the plane before it descended to the point where, you know, he was in peril of dying. Now that's badass in my book. That's mm. badass. He retired from the court and capitalized um, by giving lectures as the luckiest man alive until the end of his <laughs> yeah. natural earth. Anyway, it's a, it's a great story. And then it's Canadian that makes it a great story. And as a happy coincidence, the comic strip Superman debuted in 1939 on January the 6th. January the 8th is Typing Day, and that's an international observance. And on this day in 1992, Michael Martin published his book Atheism, A Philosophical Justification. It was in paperback. It's 541 pages and still in print, if that's something you want to add to your collection. Mm. And that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, diverse, and occasionally bizarre. We had a lot of bizarre ones this week. Um, and people that make up this day in history. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, as usual, started the year with something Weird and interesting from this day in history. <laughs> you say that airplane story was in Ireland? The what? I'm sorry? The airplane story was in Ireland? The airplane story. The airplane story, yeah. Was it in Ireland? No, it was, um, was it in, in Germany. Story? Oh, but yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said Ireland for some no, reason. No, no, it's in Germany. The Guinness Book sorry. of World Records had a, a guy who fell from a, an airplane in World War II. His parachute burned and he landed just right on the slope of a mountain and tumbled down and lived from like a mile and a half up. Wow. Broke a bunch of bones, and the Germans kept them alive because they're like, you survived that? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should keep you alive. Uh, all right. Now, just before we get back into uh, talking to our guest today and uh, talk about uh, our main subject, I just want to do a quick... Another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. Why not start the year with a good job? Now, did you guys know that the world will end again in 2017? Oh, boy. 
Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, I missed the first couple times, too. Yeah, let's party. If, if you have your card, uh, if you punch in your 10th end of the world, you get the 11th one free. <laughs> <laughs> now, sure enough, some Christians over a website, Unseal Reckon, uh, reckon that the end of is going to begin in August 2017. Now, we talked about this briefly with David Silverman. In August 2017, they're going to have a full eclipse of the sun. Okay. And that's the weekend he's also doing his uh, his uh, seminar for American Atheists. Oh, before mm. or after the end of the world? Is he it's a, <laughs> during. Oh, okay. During. Oh, okay. And All after. Right. So th- this, what a show. This, this website is citing a biblical prophecy popular with doomsday believers. Unseals records that the date 2017 ties up very neatly with biblical prediction of the end. Based on the dates of the establish with the, uh, the establishment of the state of Israel, this ties in with passages in Revelation, which discuss uh, the return of the Messiah based on Jubilee of the calendar. The Messiah is coming! The Messiah is coming! Mm-hmm. In fact, a solar eclipse on August twenty-first next year might uh, mark the start of the festivities. <laughs> I don't know what they call it, festivities. <laughs> Global disasters, war, famine, pain, and suffering, and the death of 75% of all life on Earth. Hmm. So mark oh, those words. Wow. Yeah. So, Are we please, prepared? We're prepared now. So we, yeah, get we your papers to, in order. We need to have a party on the 15th of August. Then sure, the week before. Okay. Why not? Why you not? bet. It's these, the these people need to just give me all of their stuff. That would be the That's safest right. bet. I bet you anything that the world does not end. If you lose, well, you're dead anyway. And if you win, <laughs> you win. Hey, we'll call it Kevin's wager. Yeah, That's we, right. yeah we, we need to make up some forms of, uh, you know, assuming possession of people's goods. <laughs> it's like that book that I mentioned before on a previous show, uh, 88 Reasons Why the World Will End in 1988. And it goes through all this Bible stuff and, you know, 40 is a very common number and then it talks about like you said um, the establishment of Israel in 1948 plus 40 88 reasons okay just because you have 88 reasons doesn't mean they're 88 good reasons that's you know? right that's it's right. like the uh, 2012 de- December 21st 2012 all the planets align and blah blah they do that every year you idiot <laughs> So that site, Unseal, actually records that it's also 6,000 years since God created the world, which would be a nice, neat date to wrap things up on it. Now, wouldn't it? They, mm-hmm. You know, you got to love these. Sounds logical. This is really right. it, though. This is it. This is it. This is it. No doubt. This is it. Okay, I'm so, ready. So we should point out at this point that the Bible specifically says no one will know the date of Jesus or Jesus' return, <laughs> uh, with Matthew 24, 36 saying, However, no one knows the day or hour of these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. So convenient. Yeah, that guy that I was talking about, they pointed that out to him. Nobody knows the day or the hour. He's like, no, I I know. I I don't know the day or the hour. I just know the week. (laughs) (laughs) So there's this um, really interesting Nova PBS documentary. I think it's called The Dark Secrets of Isaac Newton. Has anybody seen that? No. Isaac Newton was one of those people. You know what I mean? Yes. Constantly reading all these different Bible codes to predict the end of the world. He was knocking fights. Yeah, and he also predicted a world, I believe, for 2060, mm. which is Newton's uh, version of the end of the world. So that should be another one we'll have to keep an eye out. <laughs> oh, I won't be alive. You won't? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> we'll finish you off first. So anyway, thank you so much for that. And we'll come back right after this with our guest, Raymond Gonzalez. Stick with us. Do you know where Saskatchewan is? 
Probably not. It's in Canada. If you do, you might know a city named Regina. In Regina, there's a studio. And in that studio, there are, at least once a month, a bunch of skeptical atheist geeks and goofballs who get together to do a podcast. We are the Brainstorm Crew, and we're trying to help spread a bit of reason and critical thinking while still having fun. Never taking things too seriously, but still not accepting everything we're told, we go through different topics, exploring them in depth, and often disagreeing. We try to stick to provable facts, and we never trust a myth. That's why we say we're woo-free since 2013. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spreaker under Brainstorm. Or check out our website, brainstormblog.net. I can't promise you'll always agree with us, but I can promise you'll have fun listening to us. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Centre. Please visit our website for more details, bchumanist.ca. Hi, I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatchers such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page. led to believe that species are mutable will do good service by conscientiously expressing his conviction. For only thus can the load of prejudice by which this subject is overwhelmed be removed. So our next guest is Raymond Gonzalez out of New York. Tell you want to introduce your friend or should we just let him come on and just say whatever he wants? Yes, well I've known Raymond for probably about three or four years. We met uh, debating creationists together and he had started his own little small group intellectual discussion and philosophy and we ran that for a couple of years together and it got over to well over 20,000 people so him and I have kind of seen the weirdest of the weirdest people so debating creation is one of those bonding moments between yeah, dudes, I guess right? so yeah. we are lesbians yeah, and then it just kind of went into every other subject so We've discussed, you know, how to debunk certain topics, but also how to get people to think about things in different ways and just trying to figure out what we can do about this level of ignorance. Facebook is just where the truth goes to die, as they say, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Raymond's kind of a, an interesting case. He, you know, he's from the New York, from New York, the Bronx, that sort of thing. He's a... Uh, I, we were friends for six months, and he's automatically cooler than all. Yeah, well, we were talking. I don't remember. Somebody said something about, you know, I'm not racist. I'm friends with Raymond Gonzalez, and he's he's black. I was like, what? He's black. Ha! Ah, well, um, what an incredibly stupid question. I had no idea. <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty funny moment, but uh, yeah, I mean, he's got an interesting perspective compared to most people that I know anyways, because he's from the Bronx in New York, which is notorious for being, 
know, crime-ridden and that sort of thing. And, I mean, he's black, well, so anyway. they have some racist police down there. He can talk to you guys about the whole stop-and-frisk policy that they had down there. And so with, with Trump being elected... Oh, uh, so at least let's welcome our first guest of the year, Mr. Raymond Gonzalez. Raymond, how are you doing, sir? Hey, greetings, everyone. How are you doing? Yeah, Raymond, great doing to have great. you here. That's our live audience, Raymond. We love you already. <laughs> so if you want to add, if you want to add anything to your uh, little introduction there, Raymond, now's the time. Yeah, if you want, feel free. Uh, Mike's all yours, my friend. Yeah, for sure. Well, my name is Raymond Gonzalez. I grew up in the Bronx, New York, as the nice, intelligent, intellectual Tyler has already introduced me. So you obviously don't know this um, guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I grew up there. Um, I grew up um, with uh, my mother and my three, bro- my two brothers and my sister. And it, it was a pretty interesting lifestyle because I guess, you know, to bring you into my perspective, um, I guess I would say I lived a lifestyle of struggle and I kind of had to make do with what I had. And making do with what I had kind of taught me that, you know, I had to, I couldn't take anything for granted. Any kind of resource that I had, I had to utilize and use it as much as I can. I'm a big believer in it takes families. What kind of helped me compared to a lot of my, uh, co- you know, my comrades back where I used to live. Currently, I'm a computer scientist. Um, I uh, work at a, a, a company that has to do with uh, that basically processes processes inventory and advertising worldwide. So, you know, I had a, I have an opportunity that other people I know that they don't have. Raven, well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, th- thank you for being on the show. Uh, you you got to explain to us what is it like to be uh, African American man in the states because i we see a lot of things and we hear a lot of things and up here in canada i'm not saying racism doesn't exist in canada but we certainly don't see the level of black and versus white fight that you guys have down there in the states so so what is it like to be a black man growing up in parts of new york in 2016 well 2017 well i'll tell my well the way i'll say it is from my perspective since um at the moment, I'm in a different bracket. I make a lot more money than most other uh, African-Americans that I do know. And also, I don't live in the neighborhood that I previously used to live in. So I'm kind of separated from it. But I would say, I would say for me, the experience is a little different from a lot of my friends who actually still live on that in my old neighborhood. I actually go visit my old neighborhood from time to time. And I see the comparison between the way, the way I'm treated and the way they're treated. Um, just because I'll dress a certain way, obviously. I'm going to get treated a, a little bit more elevated. Cops don't search me. They don't stop and check me anymore like I used to when I was a teenager. I would say I've been getting searched by police ever since I was eight years old because I'm a, I'm a pretty... Uh, even at eight, I was probably about like five, six, five, eight. You know, that's like the, the height of some men. <laughs> so, you know, I was a bit, really big guy. And because of that, they always thought I was older. They would think, oh, you're selling drugs or you're doing something. And, you know, obviously, I know it has a lot to do with, you know, you're living in that neighborhood and it's just such a crime-ridden area. Uh, I would say my theory is that, you know, our, both our people, black, white, Asian, any race that you're talking about, we're all very, very tribal. And, you know, it's deeply rooted within us that's this xenophobia when we see someone different from us. And even cops, you know, it doesn't matter what color you are. You're within a tribe as a cop. And when you see the, uh, these other people that you're uh, policing and you're, uh, how would I say, you're exerting your control over the, this populace, you're, things are going to happen. There's going to be corruption. In my mind, 
I don't think every single incident is incident is racism. I think a lot of it is misunderstanding and just like the, the testosterone is just so much. It's like you have these guys and they're going into this dangerous area and they're scared and the people in the community are scared. So you have all this chaos brewing up. And I would say from my perspective, I don't get the racism as much because of money. And I know a lot of it has to do with finance because I could walk through a neighborhood and, you know, I, women will still clinch their purse a little bit. <laughs> I don't blame them. Hey, you have to protect yourself. <laughs> Uh, that, that's uh, very interesting to say the least. It's um, something as a Caucasian myself, I've never really had to grow up with. You know, the idea of being searched by the police all the time uh, is just alien to me, right? I mean, uh, I almost get excited when a police pulls me over. Say, hey, this hasn't happened to me since 1973 or something like that. You've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Well, yeah, and I lived in the bad part of Regina, Saskatchewan, like the worst part of that area. Is that the wheat field? Yeah, no, it was the murder capital of Canada, back and forth in between oh. Abbotsford and Regina. And because I'm white, I mean, things were a little different, but it wasn't really racism. I mean, I was pretty much, our house was the only white people in probably like a 10-block radius, but it was really just more cops cracking down on poor people, you know what I mean? Like, if you looked like that or you were in that neighborhood yes. it didn't matter if you were white black brown yellow red made no difference they treated you that way so maybe that's kind of what raymond is getting at it's not necessarily a race thing it's that there is a direct correlation between poverty and crime and it might happen to be that the majority of the people are black in that area so it looks like racism but they're really just treating poor people like shit in general does that sound right raymond also, I'm um, sorry to interrupt you, Tyler. I'll add is in my community, I grew up in a, a largely mixed with Hispanic community as well. So basically, uh, there would be a gang, this gang war. So there would be Bloods and there's another gang called the DDP. And they're, they were called Dominicans Don't Play, along with another gang called the Latin Kings. So these gangs were always consistently clashing, obviously, over territory, drugs and everything. And the police, you know, they had to go into that chaos obviously and they can't they don't know who's the enemy and who's doing drugs and you know i'm not i'm not the type of person i'm not really against drugs i'm against more of the killing and like the madness that's going on in some of the hoods but just to say uh you know the cops go in there they don't know what the heck's going on those people you know the people who's innocent let's say me for example when i was 13 years old i was with one of friend, one of my friends and we walked outside from i think it was from his building and the cops came up on us. Four cop cars. Pulled up in front of our building. They pushed, they pushed me against the building and they searched all of us. Took out guns and everything. They were like, oh, we know you're with these people. We know you're with these people. And we're like, no, no, no. They literally, I would say, almost strip searched my friend inside the building. They treated me, I guess, a little bit better. Only because I, I guess I was a little nicer, but even still, they were still rough, because that's kind of protocol the way they have to go in there. Hmm. In these communities, we we often get the impression that uh, in the states, uh, the whole incarceration system has become a bit of an industry in itself. Uh, do you feel that's uh, that's really the case? Well, the thing is, if we really look at it, there's only 13 privately run federal contracted prisons, and uh, while a lot of people like to uh i guess throw it as like a major issue i think more of it is just the uh, the way that prisons are just you know ran by themselves normally 
like you have these situations in which you have human beings in these small cages who are fed inadequately, who are treated inadequately, and there are people who are guarding them who they don't get the right things that they need. They don't get counselors, psychologists to help these men like um, get education, help these men um, learn conflict resolution. You're, you're just caging these people like animals and you're not giving them any rehabilitation. A lot of my friends would go inside. It's like a revolving door. You, you go in and then they tell you, oh, well, you committed a crime. You, uh, you, you lost most of your rights. You can't do anything. Mm-hmm. How do you get back on your feet after an experience like that? Yeah, no doubt. And you're like labeled criminal for the rest of your life. And there's like nothing you can do to get around that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and on top of that, uh, when you come out, if, if correct me if I'm wrong, Raymond, when you come out and you've been, uh, you had a stay in a penitentiary, you lose uh, in many states. You lose your voting rights as well, don't you know? Don't you not? Yep, that is very true. So, especially in New York, um, that's like how they hurt people. Now they're making a move to change that in New York. At least I'm happy about that. <laughs> that's good news. Here you can vote while you're in prison. Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. That do voting polls at prison. I mean, you can judge you can judge a society based on how it treats its less fortunate. But the the thing is, like you said, the whole revolving door. You go to prison, you get out, and then it's harder for you to get a job. We have places here where they do have like crime free um, communities and stuff. So you have to do a criminal record check to rent a piece of shit apartment. Like they go to jail for smoking a joint, and then they come out, and then they can't get a job. They can't get a place to live. What are they going to do? They're going to go back to crime to make money. So they're not making it easy for people to be rehabilitated. They're just punishing people, and it just makes it worse and worse and worse. It's an endless cycle, as, as opposed to places like Norway, where I think they kind of realize that these people come from shit environments, so they try to help them as much as possible to maximize their success of being re- rehabilitated when they get out. Yeah, and so in many Scandinavian uh, countries, uh, drug consumption is not considered a crime. It's con- considered a health issue. So they actually... They, mm-hmm. That's you, the you, direction you, that we're moving up here, too. Yeah, it is, it is. Like and ho- hopefully the states will do all follow suit soon as well. Well, in one of our uh, previous hosts... Uh, Martina, she's no longer on the show, but she got a full-time job uh, working at a, a prison here, and she said she had to do a lot of reading the basically the biographies of the people in jail. And when you read them, it's mm-hmm. like a perfect recipe for a criminal. Like this person was born into poverty. Their dad was an abusive alcoholic drug dealer. Their mom was a prostitute, and then they w- they were in jail by the time they were eighteen. <laughs> Well, yeah, no shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then we don't do anything to prevent. We have no preventative crime, you know, like preventative health care. We don't have that with crime. But on the contrary yeah. well, up here, we've also got a problem well, with like prison being kind of appealing because they take care of everything and they treat you. It's almost like a like a resort. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you something, guys. In New York, you know what people do? Whenever the winter's coming, they get locked up on purpose just so that they'll have a place to stay. Yeah, they do yeah. that in Saskatchewan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do something that gets you That's six months. So what's the where's the deterrent in that, right? You know, like you're already homeless. I mean, what what could be worse? You go and meet a bunch of friends in prison for a while. Well, it goes back yeah. to what we were saying. <laughs> it goes back to what we were saying. Crime and poverty go hand in hand, right? So yeah. if you if you manage to get people out there to uh, get uh, out of poverty, then we'll re- resort to crime to uh, 
during the cold winter months. Well, yeah, and then from the atheist humanist perspective, you guys all know I massively support the basic income guarantee because, yeah, there is a correlation between crime and poverty, but there's also a correlation between poverty and religiosity. Mm. So if we really want to decrease that type of religiosity, we can also eliminate poverty. So that's really killing two birds with one stone. So, uh, Raymond, you used to be a creationist, is right? Yes, and young earth creation. Nobody's, <laughs> no, nobody's perfect, man. Nobody's perfect. I'm so sorry to hear that. Hey, hey, don't talk about velociraptors <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, and you, you basically went from a poor black young earth creationist, and now you're, well, I think you're an atheist. Well, Regarding your give, deniability, it doesn't matter. Give the Agnostic. Guy, give the guy a break. I mean, look, I'm looking at Raymond. He, he's a good-looking guy. He's a really good-looking guy. He had to have one flaw, so he was a creationist. All right, fine, fine. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go over it. You I know? think you're really a closeted atheist, aren't you? <laughs> no, he is. I've been, I've been harassing him for like three years. So, Raymond, what I think would be interesting is how how you evolved from being a creationist and I, I would imagine being a member of a black church which is very strong very social, strong yes um, a lot of lot of ties for for a lot of different reasons a lot of family but but to come from from that strong background of faith um, and a creationist to to become an atheist how did you negotiate that path for yourself that must have been a difficult one yeah, especially in poverty, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you one thing. When you're in the black community, the black church is kind of like, it's like the haven. You're not part yeah. of the black church. You're ostracized. You know, depending on where you come from, you know, you go to church on Sunday. That's how you guys socialize. This is like your tribal way of meeting with one another. You share ideas, you share your dreams, share your goals. You know, and this is the thing that, you know, pushes you forward towards the future. For me, um, growing up as, as a young earth creationist, it was a, I would say it was like a clash of, uh, I would say my, uh, future, my present self and my past self, only because I loved science as a kid. I would read about dinosaurs and everything, but in my mind, I rationalized it. I'm like, oh, you know, God sees time differently. So I never was a creationist who thought, oh, the earth is only 6,000 years old. I was like, oh, maybe a, a thousand years in God's time is like a billion years or something. Mm-hmm. Whatever. You know, I didn't calculate it correctly. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's how I rationalize it. I would say the reason why I kind of started questioning it was, you know, I had a, a, a aunt. She wasn't an atheist, but I would say she was close to an agnostic. And so she would never go to church with us. She would, you know, she would be the one who would be, hey, uh, every birthday. Raymond, here's a Barnes and Nobles um, gift card. Here's it's fifty dollars on it. Get a book, <laughs> and, and then oh, I would always a bring out to have. dinosaur books and and the church that would say, "Hey, uh, uh, what are those?" And I'm like, "Oh, these are these are books. These are they're about dinosaurs." Oh, um, yeah, we don't know if that kind of follows our teaching. You live to regret this. <laughs> oh, really? Huh? Mm. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, and of course, as time goes on, the internet corrupts you. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank goodness for the internet today. More and more, and I would say a big part of which I would I would say like kind of lured me out is because I would say as probably every one of you, you start asking questions and your pastor can't answer, your family can't answer. Pay attention, son. This is for your own good. And I've always been somebody who I rather someone tell me they don't know than to make up an answer. Of course, Ryan became an atheist by divine revelation. <laughs> <laughs> God told me he didn't exist. 
Spaghetti Monster. Hello. That's right. That's right. Spaghetti Monster. Uh, and of course, like like you were saying there, uh, especially in the black community, the church is really the center, the hub of everything that's community. So it must be extremely difficult for you to walk away from it because you, you are literally, I mean, a lot of people that leave the faith do commit a form of, quote unquote, social suicide. But in the black community, that must be especially poignant. Well, at first, I would say the stigma was pretty, it was pretty bad because my family didn't really understand it. So I I would say I started off as kind of a, I would say I felt kind of betrayed by religion. So I kind of like was a radical atheist for like, I would say like a year. Mm -hmm. So that did happen in my life. But me, I'm, I'm a computer scientist, so. I always have to say, oh, it's 99%. You know, 99.9% unlikely, you know. <laughs> but I don't. Re- I really wouldn't like to touch it because, hey, you know, I'll die tomorrow. I'm like, oh, oh shit, I was wrong. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's, it's not because it scares me, though, or anything. I, I don't believe in heaven or hell. Mm. I just think, hey, it's possible something could have created us. Or it's possible that, you know, who knows? We could be part of a fucking giant fish or something, for all I know. But I don't know. Your giant fish honestly. theory, I like it. Under the sea. Under the sea, darling, it's better down where it's wetter. Take it from me. Hmm. Or maybe, maybe, that new to me. maybe we live in a computer simulation. Therefore, the, the creator is a matrix. computer scientist like yourself. Oh, there we go, <laughs> Neil. We found him. No, no, no. Uh, we we we've touched that uh, being in the black community and leaving the church is difficult enough. But also. Um, we get the impression, I get the impression, correct me if I'm wrong, Raymond, being successful as a black man kind of sets you apart as well, does it not? Oh, yeah, for sure. I'll tell you one interesting thing about the black community, and you can probably draw the parallel from rap music. There's a very high, I would say, uh, it's feelings of jealousy towards certain blacks, depending on how famous or successful you are. So let's say, for example, there's like maybe 80 rappers in, in like the same lane. But then there's different rappers that separate themselves, whether it's due to the way their rhythm is, their lyrics are, or just the way they express themselves on their mu- in their music. And other rappers will hate them just because they're like, oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm, I'm like him, but I'm better in their mind. And so it's like this intense jealousy that churns up. Even within the community, for example, I used to sell drugs for a little. Or say, hey, who didn't? Not nah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, people. You know, I would sell drugs in the community, and if anyone knew that you were making more money than them, they really didn't like it. And people would either call the police on you, they would try and send people to beat you up, anything. There's even some a process in which, um, for example, let's say you just moved to my block and you you wanted to set up shop and sell drugs. The people who are what we call them the old heads, they'll say, hey, you have to pay rent. So let's say you make 500 a week. You're paying me 300 out of that 500. Hmm. Well, in, in Abishur, Nancy still controls the territory. She, she, she's a major drug pin around here. She, uh, at her age, uh, she's got an iron grip. We call her Big Mama. Big Mama. Big Mama. I said, and I'm at my age. I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> she just turned thirty. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thirty going on twenty. <laughs> yeah. So uh, have you have you felt a backlash from from uh, some of the community uh, because of your successful scientist, computer scientist now? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this, right? Interestingly enough, in my hood, 
I didn't get as much as a backlash as compared to when I talked to certain family members. Like, a majority of my family, they're very overwhelming. But I'll tell you one thing about within the Black Hood that is something that I really despise about being, like, uh, within my community sometimes is that we have, like, such a high feeling of self-doubt. I don't know if it's because of, like, history and just because mm-hmm. of the whole thought process of people feel like they're stuck in a hood. Like, you're in a prison and then you make yourself, you, you create a mental prison for yourself. So mm-hmm, yeah. even when I was going through school, people were like, oh, are you sure you could do this? Are you sure you're smart enough? Like, you know, maybe you should just get a city job, a government job. And the type of person I am, I'm, 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 I always think I'm, I, I think bigger than life. I, I feel like there's no limitations at all. I feel like you create your own limitations and you create the scale and what you can overcome, you know? Good, like, if yeah. I say, oh, the sky's the limit, that's it. If I yeah. say space is the limit, ooh, man, that's awesome. Well, Joe, oh. these guys coming hot. Well, like the first black president, <laughs> like the first black president, they used to always like Tupac used to say, you know, that was pretty far off. And one of the things I've noticed is in those communities, it's almost like they encourage their people to be successful. But once they are successful, then the whole jealousy, envy thing, and then they start attacking them. Like um, Tupac was making fun of Dr. Dre, basically saying, "You got rich and you left the hood." Well, that's what we've been telling them to do is mm-hmm. get successful, make money. And then when they do it, you call them a <laughs> traitor for leaving. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For leaving everybody behind. But that's really not the case. No, speaking of Tupac, I, I'll do a, a quick tangent here. Do you guys hear the story that happened in the church? Uh, I think it was last week. Uh, somebody replaced the uh, inadvertently, we're not sure, or whether it was a gag in a church. They were singing a hymn and they replaced... Hail Mary with the lyrics from Tupac's song. That's awesome. Oh, wow. (laughs) Brilliant. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I don't know how long it took him for them to catch up. (laughs) It was not at all a a church song at all. It wasn't a gospel thing at all. I'm always always interested in wondering what we can actually do. So I'm wondering what you think people could actually do to help, you know, situations like yours become more common. You know, like, do we give out... do we give out gift certificates from Barnes and Nobles with <laughs> with food stamps or what? Can I speak to the Here's you your welfare check and like uh well it's like it sort of ties into in psychology it's the humanist perspective. It's like you have to uh take responsibility for yourself and you have to have self-efficacy, right? There's only so far that we can blame external things if we uh if we take the locus of control and put it within ourselves and realize that we are the person that motivates us to succeed. We can do that. We can overcome mm-hmm. stereotypes and barriers and stuff, right? Well, yeah, like that's you did. Fair. That, that's fair. But I mean, it, there's still some things that even like the atheist community can do to help people okay. like Raymond that are oh, maybe yeah. not sure about leaving the, 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 the safety of the church. Yeah. Right? What well, would you recommend, yeah, Raymond? Well, well, the way I would say is this, right? One thing about, you know, living in the hood is that you don't have mentors. You don't have anyone to look up to. Yeah. One of the things about me is um, I started, you know, as a good kid and then I ended up being a bad kid. When I when I get, got into high school, I would get into like, you know, I wanted to show off and impress my friends. And the reason why I wanted to impress them was because some of these people, I looked up to them and I thought they were cool. I thought these violent guys who were going around busting car windows or robbing people, I thought they were cool. Those are the cool guys in my neighborhood. I was like, oh, these guys are cool, you know? Mm. It's not like I had, like, a, I don't know, a black computer scientist to look up to and say, oh, my gosh, or, or Neil deGrasse Tyson, for example. Like, oh, shoot, he's so cool. He's eloquent. The way he speaks, he, he's bold. He believes he can do anything. Like, that That to me is a big problem. I feel like one of the things we could do in, the, in these rough neighborhoods is I would remember two things. When I was in school, we didn't have a lot of field trips after, I would say, maybe seventh or eighth grade. 
we went, we didn't go on any field trips. And when you don't get to see beyond your eight block radius, you get trapped within that eight block radius. You come home, you don't have any after school programs. You just you just go out in the street and you hang out, you know. And then you see all the other people who's doing bad behavior, and you replicate it. Back in the day, I remember coming back from school and I would see uh, old heads or older guys and they would drink Coronas and beers out on the corner. And you're like, wow, you know, these are my role models. This is who I look up to. This is what I look forward to. This is my future. How am I going to look beyond that if I don't have things like field trips? I don't have after school programs that teach me about, um, let's say, for example, cooking. If, if I never uh, learn really uh, like the art of cooking or even like computer science, for example, you know, that wouldn't have been able to elevate my mind beyond what I see every day in the hood. These images I'm bombarded with each and every day. These things that tell me, oh, I'm, I'm a street criminal. Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm part of this, uh, this environment in which that no one can climb out. Um, crabs in a barrel. Mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a question about that. Like, it's interesting. You, you were saying about, um, like, role models and stuff. I kind of grew up poor, too, but not definitely not the same way you did. And I never really had somebody to follow. I was just wondering, like, in the end, what did you find? Uh, did you find, like, somebody that was actually a good role model to follow? Uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know Tyler. <laughs> yeah. The comments of Tyler are not necessarily those. I left the developing so for two reasons. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. Well, did, did you? Yeah. Well, I would say um, as a role model, uh, you know, I mentioned my aunt previously, uh, rest in peace. She passed years yeah, ago, I would yeah. say about eight or nine years ago, she passed uh, with cancer. Okay. And she was one of my role models. And I would say some of my other role models were a few of my friends who actually focused on trying to get out the hood and escape the hood. Good. Like their, their thought process, I would say probably when I finished high school, they were like, you know what, uh, we, we, we should probably like try and slow down and stop living this crazy life. Yeah. I, uh, my mother, she had, she even told me, she confronted me and she said, Hey, you, uh, you need to stop doing this. Um, you need to confront, you know, yourself and see what you're doing in the future. And even though I wasn't living with my mother, my real mother was really my grandmother. Uh, I was raised more by her and she uh why she had a lax lifestyle you know she couldn't really control me and stop me from running around and you know meeting these really bad people um but while she couldn't do that she would always give me really great advice and i would say her advice probably saved my life and awesome. you know stop doing a lot of the dumb things i've done yeah. Yeah. so, so it's like it wasn't one person it was like a whole bunch of people which is like your support network oh, yeah, sounded village. awesome so yeah. you just got the lucky village. though so how about this we take the neil degrasse tyson cosmo show and put it in all high schools Sure. <laughs> I'm dead well, serious. I think, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think more of it is we need to start encouraging um, people to start forming after school programs, more mentor programs. I think another really cool thing would be is, um, you know, obviously we, we want to promote STEM. Uh, but I think instead of promoting STEM, you should promote problem solving. Problem solving yeah. to me is much more valuable. Yes. You learn a little math and you learn how to solve problems. You're like, wow. You can actually, instead of reacting to a situation in an emotional way, you react in a way and you're like, oh, wait, how do I solve this problem? Instead of panicking and not being mm-hmm. able to solve anything. Instead of like, having other people do your thinking for you. Mm-hmm, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a lot of time in, the, in, in the States, in, in, the, in the black States, neighborhoods and in the poor neighborhoods, kids are at a disadvantage because they don't get the books first. They don't get all of the equipment. They don't get the exposure, you know, to the libraries and the field trips and things like that. And it makes it really difficult when you have that kind of background. But 
it, it seems as though when a charter school comes in or a private school comes in and yeah. kids are able to get an education that way, then they, they develop, they, they get the mentors and they develop the confidence to go on and to get higher education. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very difficult in a, in a society where there's systemic racism to change that. And the kids who are in the public schools have it, have it, um, a thousand times more difficult than white kids in whatever neighborhood well, that they education they in the do. states is outrageously expensive to begin with. I mean, yeah. and if you're a disadvantaged youth, no matter what the color of your skin, uh, good luck. If good it came luck down, with that. yeah, if yeah. it came down to like your health, like your HMO or your school. I mean, I I certainly right? went to public school, but uh, I'm glad to be Canadian because had I been mm-hmm. born in the states, I would have ended up in quote unquote the ghetto for sure. Yeah, yeah. L- Lawrence Krauss said, "Well, I went to Canada. I went to school in Canada, so I actually got a good education." <laughs> <laughs> Well, look at look at the charter schools, for example. Um, there's a new charter school in Harlem. Well, I would say it's relatively new. It's been around for five years. The students who went to that school, they the the, the normal passing math grade for public school students were uh, was about I think 24 percent, and the reading was around 21 percent. The children who would go into the charter school, they increased the reading scores to 79 percent, and the passing for math to 94 percent. So it just shows you the difference of the environment. You just take them out of that you know, the public school environment. And one of my problems with the school um, system is obviously we know it's all funded by the tax dollars within that neighborhood. So if you live in a rich neighborhood, that school is going to get more tax dollars. Yeah, I've always right. found it an issue that a lot of the public schools, like even the government, we don't take lessons from these charter schools. Hmm. Um, these charter schools, like, obviously, they, they're hit and miss. Not all of them are good, but if we see something that works, we should replicate it and implement it, mm-hmm. implement it into the school system. Yeah. And we don't do that. Enough. Everyone benefits everyone when everyone's on the same page. You know, like we're on the same exactly. level. Exactly. Yeah. No, there are some states where they have equalization of tax dollars so that you have all of the all of the, the school districts contributing to more of a pool and then the money is, is distributed mm-hmm. supposedly yeah. equally. But you know, equal you know, some are more equal than others yeah, and exactly. still the poorest schools they they have infrastructures that are crumbling it's they don't always have the, the right heat so trying to overcome that you know and, and rebuild that um, that that public the, the public schools so that they uh, encourage more kids to succeed that's the key too because not everybody can afford or get scholarships to the to through the, the the charter schools and the schools can be an oasis to really help even though you have a society that has systemic racism the schools if they change to give the kids the confidence mm-hmm. to go and i think raymond will agree with me that that would be a wonderful start i i don't know whether that's going to happen but uh, i think that mm-hmm. would be one way as tyler was saying what can we do to improve improving the schools and pouring more money into the but into making the but making the them equal but making them equal because i always call it losing the birth lottery you know what i yeah. mean mm-hmm. one kid is born into a different area, and his parents make a little bit more money, therefore he gets a better education. How the hell is that the kid's fault? Mm-hmm. No, it's not the kid's fault. That's my point, yeah. 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 I'll, I'll give you guys a few uh, nice little stats here that uh, maybe a lot of people are not aware of. Um, the United States is 5% of the population of the world, but yet the uh, their incarceration is almost a quarter. Don't! 
of all inmates on the planet. Mm, that doesn't surprise me. Uh-huh. Of that total 2.3 million people that are uh, apparently incarcerated in the States, the African-American community constitutes nearly 1 million of that. Don't! Don't! That is huge, right? And at the same time, with the same token, uh, in, in the, uh, the African-American population is the largest racial minority Okay, uh, they're accounting for 13.2% of the American population, mm. uh, although the Hispanic and Latino Americans are now account- amount to 17%. Mm. So uh, you can't help but think that, yeah, the African-American community is, is very disproportionately represented in the, in, in in the, the system, system, in the prison system. And there's, that, that is a huge, huge red flag. I mean, there's no way in hell that the, these, the, the majority of these people in there because they're bad eggs. There's no way in hell. There's something going on there. Oh, of course they don't have. You know, people who are who are poor, regardless of uh, of race. But it obviously, you know, it feeds into this is that they don't have the money to defend themselves. They, you know, they, there's not enough public defenders. And but the, at this and point, to the assist police, them, the police tend to. Um, want to uh, um, put m- more young black kids in jail than white kids. They're, they'll give the white kid a second chance where they won't always, the black kids. So they start them out at 13, 14, 15 in the juvenile system, and then they... You're labeled uh, for they, life. They, yeah, they get exactly. to, the, to the other system, and then the private... Um, the private jails, you know, um, private prisons also make money. On, on the, it's a for-profit. You know, so throw them in there, forget about them, and the world makes the profit, and, yeah. and people Backward. get the short end of the stick. I'm yeah. also willing to bet that most of these uh, the black kids in, in prisons are, com- are all stemming from uh, inner-city like slums, basically. When you get to like, the heart of a city, it rots, right? Eventually, it's, it's, not, it's not possible to do commerce because there's so much traffic to get through to get to it, so it dies. It just essentially mm-hmm. rots. And that, well, that, that tends to be the cheap part of town. Sorry to interrupt you, but I'll give you guys an example. I live very, very close. Well, I grew up very, very close to a highway. Mm-hmm. Can Can you believe that after they did a survey of my area where the highway, highway goes through, they said that asthma rates went from 10% to like almost 60-something percent around my way? Um, basically, um, asthma. like when they were first doing surveys, um, 24% of the kids in that area had asthma. Oh, the asthma right. rates went 60 percent because you know obviously the highways they have a lot of truck routes going through the highway yeah and these are things they did in hoods and they didn't really care they would just dr- drive highways through hoods and obviously you have these trucking routes you have gas you know these cars pumping gas and yeah. carbon into the air and you, know, you guys don't have the, the you wouldn't have the financial backing to like protest it really it's like the where all the underdogs are just swept under the carpet and you're ignored. Well, you get a you get a perfect example of what's happening right now in Flint, Michigan, right? Yeah, uh, that, yeah. that's atrocious. I mean, if that pipe, that same pipe, was happening in Beverly Hills, that would have been solved <laughs> ages ago. Wouldn't have even made the news. <laughs> Raymond, um, we haven't heard a whole lot about uh, the, 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 uh, a movement that's been making the news a lot in the past year. Uh, Black Lives Matter. Oh yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people that are. are uh, I know Black Lives Matters have actually come up here to Canada to protest as well. From an African American perspective, what, what, how do you feel about the movement? Well, I have a different perspective about the movement. One of my biggest problems, and you know, I think that people should have the right to protest. Hey, take a knee, do do whatever you want to do. That's your right. That's your that, your right as an American, and take it. Mm-hmm. But to me, as a, as I would say, a, a, a black person, an African American who 
I think that, you know, you have to actually sit down and let's say we protest, protest, protest all you want. Yeah. Everyone should come together after those protests and start making actual plans. Yeah. My issue isn't with the protests, it's with the lack of implementation. There's no way of coming together and creating a mastermind and solving these problems in a hood, looking at what works in certain areas and implementing these plans. Like, for example, in the United States, public health, health is getting really big. Before, doctors never would really consider patients' opinions. And obviously, that, that makes, um, you know, how would say lopsided treatment because you'll have patients and the doctors are like, oh, this, this treatment is working. But they don't ask the patient, are you suffering from this treatment? Is it helping you? Is it, how is it making your mental, uh, your, your mental awareness? How is it making you uh, process information in your yeah. life? Is it helping you positively? Is it helping you negatively? And doctors never used to do that. And this, to me, is one of the issues with um, groups like Black Lives Matter. They, they, they like to address an issue, but they don't really follow through and try and implement yeah. plans to help you. And yeah. I get that their, their, their focus is very singular. And they also have other different agencies that do address problems like gang violence and stuff like that. But I feel like a bigger thing to do that would be much better is to get together, implement a plan, and just do it. Excellent. That did actually happen up here with the police in Black Lives Matter. They actually met, um, I think in Montreal, they did a, a barbecue together, and uh, Toronto was yeah, successful that. and that sort of stuff. But that was like all pertaining more so to gay pride parades. <laughs> do you, do you, do you, that's, that's another issue I have, too, because... Um, me, I'm a big, uh, one thing I realize is, um, in a black community, one thing that's a really big problem is that, you know, there's a lot of like single mothers and there's not like a lot of like fathers within the, 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 the these environments, which is interesting because even though the mother and the fathers are not together, they still, you know, there's still a high, a lot of fathers that are involved in their children's life. Mm -hmm. But even not having, like, let's say you have your father and your mom and they're both in one another's life. If you don't have, like, the village element, like I had, like, your grandparents or maybe either, like, uh, you know, I don't, cousins, whatever, anyone, aunties coming into your life and helping you and giving you that extra support, it really makes you weaker because you don't learn the values that you may learn from a, my Uncle Bob or whatever, or maybe some learning how to make fire by un un Uncle Durrell, whatever, you know, whatever skill Family that he has support. that he yeah. could have planted in your mind from a young age and that would have just helped you in life in a different way, you know, it, it, a support system. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You said it takes a village, right? Um, do you think it's possible yes. that we'll eventually move to the part where, like, we're not even thinking about race anymore? Everybody's our village, which is uh, what I'd like to see. Well, I think I think <clears throat> I think this is what we're trying to do uh, by uh, merging places together, right? I mean, for example, if you just take the history of Canada, for example, uh, it used to be province against province, east versus west, but now we're one Canadian. Uh, family. Um, eventually, I think the entire population of the globe is going to have to move on that same scale. Yeah. I know it sounds like scary one world government for people, <laughs> yeah. but uh, uh, we're going to have to move past this this mentally of uh, this mental uh, tribalism that that we're kind of ingrained with. Except and Quebec. yeah, no, sorry, say that again. I said except for Quebec. Fuck them. Hey, 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 <laughs> hey, hey. The views of Tyler Legard are not essential. <laughs> Well, you know, a lot of it, I blame I blame the United States government on a lot of the craziness. You know, we the United too. States government is <laughs> so much it's over, all over the world. Who the hell wants to become a one-world government with us? Yeah. <laughs> it's also like, about the... Bombing the, Somalia and Yemen and Afghanistan. Yeah. It's like, who are we going to bomb next? Sudan? Like, yeah, and then there's <laughs> the distribution of wealth. We have to do something about that. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, 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 you, so you feel that the Black Lives Matter movement was 
successful? Do you think it should still go on? You think it's tweaking? It'll, it'll disappear? Well, to be honest, I think it's not going to disappear. But my issue with it is, um, even when you look on their website, their website really doesn't have much initiative towards bringing like uh, the black father back into the family. I, I feel like you know you really need that. You, you, you know, all that needs to come together. You know, obviously, I believe in gay rights. I think gays should be able to do whatever they want, transsexuals, uh, whatever they want to be called. You know, hey, live and let live. But obviously. to me, I think that one of the most important thing is, you know, things is helping our children. You know, the, our children are the future. Some people are doomed. You're not going to be able to help them. And that's a horrible thing to say. I, I apologize. Why are you looking at me while saying that? <laughs> <laughs> well, the only reason why I say this, right, is because the universal truth is that no matter what you do and no matter what, what things you try and, like, get into people's head, they will not change unless they want to change themselves. Yeah, and that's a great that's way true. to finish that. Thank you Give so much. Let them walk down it. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much, Raymond, for joining us on the show today. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Uh, they can either add me on Facebook. Uh, that, 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 that's pretty much it. Uh, Facebook. They can go through Tyler. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, and also your uh, group. Uh, where we first oh, yeah, kind intellectual of, uh, discussion and philosophy on Facebook. Uh, you can join us there, have a nice discussion. It's actually intellectual discussion, three exclamation points. Oh, and uh, don't forget those. And, and philosophy. Yeah, because you know philosophy is not part of intellectual discussion. <laughs> no, not at all. It's a running joke of the group. So. <laughs> well, thank no, you, so, thank you so much, Raymond. Before I let you go, can I ask you to do me one favor? Can you say hello? My name is Raymond Gonzalez, and I took a left to the valley. Hello, my name is Raymond Gonzalez, and I took a left at the valley. And that was our friend Raymond Gonzalez. What a great guy. Oh, yeah. I hope he comes back soon. Yeah. We can talk more U.S. politics. Oh, boy. Oh, we didn't, we didn't even touch that. <laughs> we we barely know. even touched it. No, no. no, and no that's why I want him to come back, so we can get into it. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to add that I saw a commercial the other day for prostate cancer, and I was really offended because all cancers matter. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> oh, how to start the year on a bad joke. Yeah, very punny. No, not even. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, guys, for joining us on the show. And uh, thank you to our guest, Raymond Gonzalez. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing from him again. You can find us on uh, Facebook, on um Twitter at LETV Podcast. Or send us an email at left at valley at outlook.com. Send your complaints to nancy at left at the valley. <laughs> Care of the second floor, please. Coming up next week. Next week is actually going to be our 100th episode. Next week? Next week. Believe oh. it or not, next week is our 100th oh, episode. Boy. And we are going to be talking about food waste with Grant Baldwin and uh, Jenny Rustemeyer. That should be interesting. Hmm. Uh, the week after that, we are talking to legendary anchor of CKNW 980 AM in Vancouver, John McComb, about depression. That should be interesting. He suffered from depression himself. He still does. And he was been, has been very uh, upfront with it. And he even got a prize for his reporting on the subject matter. Then the weekend after that, the 28th, we're talking to the velvety voice of atheism, Seth Andrews. Oh, looking yeah. forward to it's all these news. shows coming up. Yes, before the yes. end of the world. We're getting all our good shows oh, yeah. in before the end of the world. Don't forget, everybody, so the world ends Keep on. listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, anything else you guys want to add before we start? <laughs> Welcome to 2017. That's right. It's going to be a good year. It's going to be a good year. And uh, thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Oh, not believe it's evil.
now you're God made me Skeptical of anything that contradicts history Denies evolution, hates science, promotes mystery I'd rather see the truth than to bask in my own ignorance Rather be alone than surrounded by damn idiots As long as there's a breath in my body You can bet your last dollar I'll be working hard fighting this problem Religion is a disease, it comes from culture Only true on a regional scale Science is universal isn't real, but Jesus is, or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu, you don't believe in them, I think the reason is apparent, you do what you're told, and believe in the God assigned by your parents, I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it, I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith, and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed, I'm an atheist, Let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, pun intended, I find it disgraceful That thousands of children are raped by priests And since they're holy men of God, they get away scot-free And the Pope does his very best to keep it on the hush Don't wanna affect business, he loves money too much We know that they love the kids, but how the fuck can we protect them While they planning to molest them, we teaching them to respect them the system is broke down, working backwards in the only action of tactic I plan to practice now is to attack them The parties of God's hands are bloodstained Millions of murders by believers And they're all in God's name And let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful That many atheists are told to be quiet You're not alone, speak your mind, time to let it be known I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed